Hello and welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up Florelai and Rory's pop culture references on Gilmore Girls. I'm Taylor. And I am a Brogdaban twit. <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you by chance mean Brogdingnagian? Nagian? I I mean I honestly don't know. Let's here's how Paris says it. Brogdingnagian twit. Wow, Paris, she can read words and then pronounce them out loud. I'm proud of her. Have you ever had that happen to you where you read a word but you do not know how to say it out loud? Yes. And sometimes I do the opposite where you say a word and then you don't know how to spell it. Yeah, that too. But either way, I would say Paris definitely studied for her SATs. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, maybe I know that. why she got into Yale. Unclear <laughs> why she didn't make it into Harvard, but... Because she had sex. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes, that was her conclusion to the episode. That pick. is correct. You have to pick between sex and Harvard. <laughs> Everyone does. <laughs> but apparently Yale, not the same decision. They're more decision. open. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, though, my name is Kyla. Um, mm. Yes, that's not usually what I call you. I mean, I usually call you Kyla. I don't yeah. usually call you the SAT word. Yeah. Say T word, very good. Uh-huh. Uh, so, why did Taylor even say this? Ta- I mean, why did. <laughs> so, why did Paris even say this? What What was happening? Well, I think we need to talk about that because we have mentioned this before on our show, but we have a running list of pop culture references that you and I review. And this was one I wrote down and I went. Is this even a pop culture reference? And guess what? It sure is. So, let's talk a little bit about the episode we are going to be talking about and that Paris was talking about stuff in today. The episode is Gilmore Girls 414, The Incredible Sinking Lorelei's, which premiered on February 17th, 2004. A week after my birthday. (laughs) Look, Yeah. We were thinking the same thing. Same thing. Yep, yep. Uh, And you guys can't see it, but Kyla and I wore the same (gasps) color today, so we feel really in sync. Gold shirts, and we both washed our hair today. Wow, it's like we're twins. Yeah, a little bit. And are you wearing makeup? Uh, no. Oh, okay, I am. Okay, not twins. One other way we could have (laughs) matched. The plot summary of this episode is Lane moves in with Lorelai for the time being and lets Mrs. Kim know who advises her to wear socks. What? This was... I remember Lane moving in with Lorelai. I don't remember the socks. Like, I watched this episode this week. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the socks. That's obscure. Anyway. Okay. So anyway... But included in the IMDb plot summary. That's a new mystery. We haven't seen that de- kind of detail confuse us before. No. Lorelai the first visits and learns that Lorelai's in construction is costing more than anybody expected. By that mention of Lorelai the first, that would be Trix, a.k.a. Gran. <laughs> Lorelai and Rory play phone tag as their frustrations mount. Lorelai's financial woes reach a boiling point, and so does Rory's school pressures as each have a meltdown with the strong married men in their lives. Oh. 
Luke is married right then. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I had not put that together. I hadn't thought about that either. IMDb giving us some little nuggets to think about tonight. Truly. Uh, what do you think about this episode? This is one of my least favorite episodes. Tell me why. Uh, I mean, you're going through the Rory and Dean. Will they or won't they? Hopefully they won't, but they do. So mm-hmm. I don't like this series of episodes anyway. But also, they're just both upset, and they're not having their normal fun banter. And so, it's the episode's missing that. Yeah, this one's just a downer for me. I just, I don't like it. I don't like that Rory ends it crying on Dean's shoulder. I don't mind that Lorelai is crying <laughs> on Luke's shoulder. But. Yes. I think this is probably the first episode where Lorelai and Rory don't have a scene together, right? Because, I mean, in season six, when Rory moves out for a while, they have that Mm -hmm. again. But I think this is probably the first time. Yeah, it probably is. I don't Mm. like this episode because it feels a little too real to me. I Mm. think it's really well done, and I feel like I have had both of these breakdowns. Not on a married man's shoulder. But I... (laughs) Except maybe for your father's. (laughs) true i might yes that might have happened at some point in my life probably somewhere along the way excluding him have not cried on a married man's shoulder and i oh boy it's a little too close to home i have had this episode in other ways in my life not because of a failing financial in project but for other reasons yeah that's true i'm sure yeah everyone has Ugh, it's a crummy mm. feeling. Because you're like, I know it's going to be okay, but it does not feel okay right now. Yeah. So, Rory's feeling or, or basically feeling a class, mm-hmm. too. And that definitely feels relatable of not a great situation at school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's stressful. I'm going to have a PTSD school dream now tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's hoping you don't. Thank you. Maybe if we change the topic to one of Rory's other stressors in her life, her roommates. Yeah. And Janet and Paris, as you know, do not get along. And this time it is because Janet's boyfriend is coming over quite a bit. This is ridiculous, Paris. He can sit in your room. I'm still getting ready. Then he can sit in the hallway. What's your problem? I'll tell you my problem, Andre. Last time you sat on our couch, your mesomorphic frame carved a four-foot crater in it. I felt like I was sitting in a bucket. You're so full of it, Paris. Kids were skateboarding up and down it. Gandalf the Grey is still falling down it. It was a big hole. What does mesomorphic mean? It means you've got a fat ass, pal. Just ignore her and sit, Clee. Do not sit, Clee. It's my place, too. Yours. Not that Brobden Naggy and Twit. So every friend I bring here has to pass your anal standards? No, he just has to pass through the door without damaging the frame. So, Kyla, when she said this SAT word... <laughs> what in the heck did you think she was talking about? I had no idea. Paris listed off just a huge number of insults <laughs> to this guy just because he's in their suite. I, uh, yeah, that was interesting choice, but it's Paris. So, I mean, my favorite, though, I just want to say is even just her... Um, the rhythm that she says it. Kids were skateboarding up and down it. Gandalf the Grey is still falling down it. <laughs> I love that. But I had no idea what 
Brobdenagian twit was. I mean, a twit, but yeah, <laughs> the SAT word, no. Okay, good, because I literally had no idea what she was talking about. No. And there's part of me that's like, Paris, this is really mean. Like, you should not talk to people like this. Mm-hmm. And also, she's basically saying he's too heavy for their couch. He's not even that big. Like, even if he were, that would be a terrible thing to say to somebody. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, it's not even relevant to this person. So, you know, Paris is just angry. Yeah, he's he's just, like, bulky, like he plays football or yeah. something. But, like, it's not even her couch. <laughs> I know! Emily couch. paid for it! <laughs> yeah, I think, and I have noticed in Gilmore Girls, I don't know if you have, there are a lot, a lot of fat jokes in Gilmore Girls. I have noticed that, too, and it's not my favorite thing. Yeah, and, you know... Of course, older shows, right, they're all going to have, which it's hard to call this an older show. It feels so, like, new and relevant still. Mm -hmm. But obviously we're doing a podcast about it. But, you know, you can give a pass on some things that are just outdated. But even in A Year in the Life, there were plenty of fat jokes. And I just thought, eh, it seems like that's something we've moved past as a society or at least trying to and realizing that weight does not define health or beauty. Yes. And I think it's fully in character for Paris. So I don't think it's out of character for her. Mm-hmm. And like, if this were the only instance in Gilmore Girls, it wouldn't bother me because I would just be like, oh, that's just Paris being yeah. Paris. But because it's something more pervasive throughout the series, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's just this moment. So anyway, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So anyways... No, nothing's perfect, even Gilmore Girls. Oh, can't believe I said that. I know. <laughs> I know. I, you know, got to come to terms with it someday. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, <laughs> uh, but... Um, she is a witty person. I just wish she used her wit for something a little more constructive sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Paris, Paris, thank you, though, for introducing us to Rob Denagian. Maybe we'll be able to say it by the end of the episode. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this comes we from shall Gulliver's see. Travels, which yeah. is something that I have known about. If she would have said Gulliver's Travels in some way, <laughs> then I might have gotten it. But did you know much about Gulliver's Gulliver? <laughs> can't even say Gulliver. <laughs> Gulliver's Travels before this. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to brag, but I did see the Wishbone episode growing up. <gasps> oh, no. That was my experience with Gulliver's Travels, was seeing Wishbone oh. reenact this book. Okay, Wishbone scared me as a kid. What? He's a little dog. He's adorable. That show scared me to bits. Literally, it was, I think, two, yesterday I saw that they are making a Wishbone movie. <gasps> they and are. it gave me anxiety seeing that dog. <laughs> Still. <laughs> How in the world does it give you anxiety to see a cute Jack Russell Terrier reenact literature? Because... It was scary. What like I just remember like a sword fight. I think that's what scared me. You know, I did not like any live action as a kid. Like 
um, Abbott, Abbott and Costello's Jack and the Beanstalk really scared me as a kid, too. I think oh. I just only liked cartoons. That is really interesting. Huh, I've never heard of that before. So, yeah, Wishbone. I did not see that. <laughs> Well, I'm really sorry to bring up that part of your childhood. I guess. I mean, I think I think I can I can be okay, but I was I was really surprised yesterday when I saw that image and I was like, "Oh, I don't like this." Wow, <laughs> and I just brought up trauma from yesterday so. too. I didn't even know about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll make Gosh. it through it. Well, I want you to know I think the name of the episode was called Gullifer's Travels. Gullifer, <laughs> <laughs> that's clever. I had the image, like, just immediately I saw the man on the beach tied down by these little tiny people. Yeah. That's, like, that's the image that I see with Gulliver's Travels, and that's really it. So, I don't know if my parents read me the story as a kid or if I just... If maybe I saw it in, you know, one book of many stories, mm -hmm. but I'm not too familiar. Yeah. And now I'm slightly more familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you, what pop culture did you experience to learn more about Gulliver? I watched the 2010 Jack Black Gulliver's Travels movie. Did this movie win lots of awards? And tons of critical acclaim. Yeah, you know, by by one group of people, yes. And in another negative way, by another group of people, again, yes. But for the most part, no. Okay, okay. Intrigue, intrigue. Yes, I'm definitely interested. <laughs> so we've got Jack Black, Jason Segal, James mm -hmm. Corden... I didn't know uh -huh. he was in movies. I thought he was just a TV host. But I guess he did some movies before. Now he, I know. Okay, most people actually probably know him, sadly, now from Cats, which I yeah. haven't been brave enough to watch. <laughs> but he is in a musical called Begin Again with Keira Knightley, our girl, hmm. and Adam Levine from Maroon 5, and it's wonderful, and he's great in it. So oh, Okay. Re, if you watch that, you'll be like, oh, he's good at things. Okay. He was not good in this. He was not really anything in this. He was just a person. But then we also have Emily Blunt. Oh, love her. Yeah. So let me take you back to 2010. Jack Black movies, hit or miss. And this mm -hmm. was definitely a Jack Black movie it started out maybe something different, and then very quickly Jack Black just poof, kicked it, karate kicked it into, into his own. Uh-huh. Kings, kings, come on, guys, what is it with you and the executions and the gallows and the stocks and the, the war? Seriously, war? Why do war? What is it good for? Absolutely not! Wow! <gasps> Yeah, what is it good for? Absolutely not! Say it again, y'all! <laughs> good God, y'all! What is it good for? I find it good for absolutely nil! In this movie, Jack Black, simple male, male room person, mail delivered mail? mail, 
In a but in a business. Oh, mailroom person attendant. <laughs> he worked in the mailroom mm-hmm. and at a travel magazine. And he mm-hmm. had a crush on a travel writer who had a, just an enormous office. I don't know. Anyways, that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he had a crush on uh, one of the writers. And he decided to pretend to be an aspiring writer. And he, she gave him an assignment. She said, oh, great. Here's three weeks. You're going to go to the Bermuda Triangle. Here's all your info. Go ahead. Have fun quite the budget for a brand new writer you're gonna send them out in a three-week uh Uh story or maybe they were like "Mm, if we lose this guy in the bermuda triangle it won't be a huge loss that's true so he went and i don't know i just feel like i don't bermuda triangle in my mind has always been a just don't go there it's (laughs) just don't do it (laughs) Isn't that where Just Amelia Earhart probably disappeared? Probably. Don't go there. So it's like dinosaurs still exist there. It's just not a safe place. So <laughs> he goes and hits a storm, a little typhoon, and wakes up. And he's pinned down by the ropes by tiny little people. So there's the classic Gulliver's Travels image. Mm-hmm. By the way, his last name is Gulliver. Oh, okay. So we should have probably started with that. So he is Gulliver, and they lock him up. They call him a beast, and he's like, "But I'm, I'm not." But he's also super timid. His whole character not confident, and so he just like lets them overpower him. It doesn't make a lot of sense because he's giant. So mm-hmm. then the bad other tiny people from a nearby island come and attack this island which is called lit what's it called lightfoot little lilliput lilliput so the bad guys attack the island of lilliput and jason seagal a tiny person is like jack black i mean gulliver can you help us and he's like yeah i can try and so he set him free help him get free he goes, gets Princess Emily Blunt away from the bad guys, and mm-hmm. uh, also puts out a fire in very Jack Black fashion by peeing on it. And all the oh, we'll come back to that in the building. Oh, good. Okay. Is I that think a... that might be um, accurate to the novel. <gasps> oh my! Because that also happened in the version I watched, but we can talk more <laughs> about that. Oh my, okay, so not just Jack Black, that's just how it goes. So he did mm-hmm. that. It just seems like that would be very um, traumatizing for all those poor tiny people, but <laughs> that happened. So then he becomes like their leader, king, he's the bravest person in the world. They build him a mansion, like to his size mansion, and they're tiny. Uh-huh. Uh, first, I thought it was just like a one-room, you know, kind of studio. No, it's it was a huge house. Holy cow. So then they're going to fix up his boat, but he find, they find his cell phone, too, on the boat, his crash boat. And he has voicemails from the travel editor. And she says, I found out that you uh, faked all your articles and you just copied those from other websites and I'm so mad at you and I'm coming to cover the story myself. 
So he's like, I think I'll just stay here on this island. The girl I had a crush on is not too happy with me. So he has them putting on shows for him. And he's, you know, trying to tell Jason Seagal how to win Emily Blunt's heart and acting like he knows it all. So the guy who loves Emily Blunt, this other guy, bad guy, goes to the other island and he's like, hey, let's take down Jack Black. And so they build a robot, a giant (laughs) robot that this little guy can man to defeat Jack Black. So kind of like Pacific Rim when they build those huge robots to defeat kaiju monsters from the core of the earth? exactly like that. Okay. All right, Mako. Get ready. This is for real. And the plans they used were from a magazine on in Jack Black's boat that they found. So it was like plans to a little toy, but they used it to make a real working one. Okay, okay. So Jack Black is defeated. They take over the town and they send Jack Black on to this other evil evil island they all talk about and that is where he becomes the tiny person because there's giants bigger than him and it's a little girl and she's keeping him in her dollhouse and she's real creepy she's a normal human looking person but she is like have tea with me and she like breaks something when he won't like sip his tea Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's a little freaky but jason seagal comes and saves them they go back they stop the fighting between the Lilliput and the other kingdom. And Jack Black goes home with his re- travel, with the actual travel rider, because she comes onto the island as well and is captured. They run off. And um, Lilliput continues on, but in, with, in peace and harmony. Well... Happy day for Jack Black and, I mean, Gulliver. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Happy day for them. Yeah. So he becomes a great travel writer. You see him cut walking in and his now girlfriend is like, oh, how was, you know, Paris or whatever. I don't know. Is his girlfriend now the editor? She's the another travel writer. Oh, okay. So not yeah. the one he was trying to win over in the beginning. No, the original one. Oh, okay. I don't know if sorry. she's an editor. Oh, okay. Touche. Touche. So, that's that. This movie was directed by Rob Letterman, who's also uh-huh. directed the Pikachu movie. Monsters Big... vs. Aliens. Oh, the detective Pikachu movie? Yeah. Say what you want. That was a huge hit. I didn't see it, but... I saw it. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shark Tale. You know, just some other movies and um it was not it was not met with with excitement it has a 20 percent score on rotten tomatoes from critic 27 for audience and the summary on rotten tomatoes i think says it very well though jack black is back doing what he does best gulver's travels largely fails to do any justice to its source material relying instead on juvenile humor and special effects 
Yeah, it was just okay. It What felt odd to me was that Jack Black was supposed to be this shy, timid, not confident person. But then as soon as he got to the island, like after he, once he peed on the building, <laughs> he was like good. He was fine. <laughs> he was king. I don't know. Maybe after you do that, just all you know, everything you were holding back, it's like, well, it's all out there, so. Yeah. What else can I do? Yeah. So, at the time, so, this, I mean, it's just some of these, you can look back and think about, you know, actions, and, huh, maybe I should have fought harder, but Emily Blunt was cast in this because, in her deal with Devil Wears Prada, Fox was like, we also get to pick out one more movie for you. And they were like, Jack Black, sometimes they're good, sometimes his movies are bad. Let's get another name on the marquee that'll help it. We choose you, Emily. And Emily was like, uh-huh, except I could be Black Widow in Iron Man 2. No way. Yeah, they had she... offered her the role. She beat out Scarlett Johansson. And the filming was happening. One started in March, one started in April. And so she had to do Gulliver's Travels. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, uh, probably sucked at the time for Emily Blunt. However, selfishly, because she didn't get cast as Black Widow and was tied up in all those Marvel movies, Mm -hmm. that means she got to do great things like A Quiet Place and Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah, so she has, you know, she her career was still, she was just starting to be like, oh, Emily Blunt, she does good things. So she was still new back then. So at the time, I could see how she would think, this could have just, like, skyrocketed my career, you know? I know. But she ended up being totally fine, and she's a superstar oh, yeah. now. So, although Scarlett Johansson is currently the highest paid actress, so there is that. Yeah. But that changes. <laughs> So, anyways, but yes, certainly that is not an equal trade, Natasha Romanoff or Princess of Lilliput. Just. Mm hmm. It was quite literally a small role, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. She was also later offered, Emily Blunt was later offered the role of Peggy Carter. But she turned that down in Captain America. She said because of timing and she said, and superhero movies, usually the women are just kind of accessories and I don't want to be that. So, all right. Fair criticism. I think Peggy Carter is one of the better ones, but I totally hear what she's saying. Yeah. So that was cool. And then because, Taylor, only I was researching this movie and not you, I did look to... (laughs) Your man, Roger Ebert. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't and, imagine what great things he had to say about this film. You know what, though? He, no, he, I think he summed it up very nicely because uh-huh. I appreciate this. I'm learning more about him. Basically, the, the summary of it was, this movie is for kids. If you want to laugh, your kids will enjoy it. Like, have at it. It's Jack Black. He's goofy. He's singing and dancing with tiny people. Mm-hmm. And I think the awards it did go up for prove that. So it's, let's see, Jack Black was nominated for a Raspberry Award, but he lost to Ashton Kutcher. Oh, okay. Excuse me. He was also, though, nominated for a Kids' Choice Award, oh. but he lost to Johnny Depp. His performance in Alice in Wonderland. 
So he did get a Kids' Choice Award because it's hilarious. This giant <laughs> dude dancing and all these little people around him making them so reenact maybe... Star Wars. I mean... They reenact Star Wars in this movie? Yeah, he has them, like, a Titanic, but he tells them that they're all stories about him. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Well, that <laughs> does sound Kids' Choice Award nomination worthy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, while his character didn't, which it almost sounds silly to make that criticism that his character was inconsistent in a Jack Black movie, <laughs> but, like, it's... That was really most of what just felt weird. And then it was just, you know, silly and... Mm -hmm. But it was, like, not a bad time. I laughed and, you know, an hour and 42 minutes. That's fine. So, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, I couldn't tell if it was going to be, like, a true Jack Black film. And I feel like he has the same reputation as, like, Will Ferrell. Uh -huh. It's like you have Jack Black movies, Will Ferrell movies, except, but then they always have these little exceptions. Like for Will Ferrell, I don't know if you've seen it, but Stranger Than Fiction, one of my favorite movies, and it is not a Will Ferrell movie. And then Jack Black, The Holiday. That's not a Jack Black movie. I love The Holiday. So, anyways, this is a Jack Black movie. So if you like it, if you like Jack Black, enjoy. There you go. Yeah. And if you're a child, maybe you will if enjoy it. If you're a it. child, <laughs> you will enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, so, so what kind of crazy, crazy adaptation did you watch? Well, if you were a child, you may also enjoy the 1996 miniseries. It is, um, <clears throat> as you can see, I checked out a copy of the book from the <laughs> library, thinking I might be ambitious and read some of it. I did not, but it is sitting right here next it's to me. It's quite large. It is. It is approximately, um... 390 pages. Wow. And on the front of it, it says, The companion volume to Hallmark Entertainment's Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift, an NBC television event. Ooh. So this is was a 1996 miniseries starring, as you probably guessed, Ted Danson. Don't you <laughs> immediately think of Ted Danson when you think of 1700s literature? And Mary Steenburgen, and I don't know if you know this, but Ted and Mary are married in real life, and they Aww. are the cutest things. We also talked about Mary because she was in Ragtime a few episodes ago. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. This miniseries also includes Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, Alfred Woodard, John Gilgood, who we talked about with the movie Arthur... Warwick Davis, Kristen Scott Thomas, so like a lot of famous people, especially famous people from the 90s in little cameos as different characters from the different lands Gulliver travels to. And I just want to say Ted and Mary had just gotten married in 1995 when they met <laughs> on a movie set in 1994. And Aww. I just love Ted and Mary. They <laughs> are too darn cute. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so, in this version of the miniseries, there are no robots. It is what? much more faithful to the book, as far as I can tell. Like I said, didn't read it. Did check it out from the library. <laughs> did read some plot summaries. And it sounds like, from what I read, this miniseries is fairly accurate. They do add a frame story 
And that's where Mary Steenburgen comes in. She is not a character in the book. But the frame of this miniseries is that Gulliver has just appeared back in England after being gone for eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. And his wife and son are there. And he kind of keeps flashing back and forth between his memories in his travels and then coming back. But it's not just him, like, remembering and us cutting back. It's like he Mm -hmm. really thinks he's there. And there's this man who has basically, he's basically taken ownership over the Gulliver household because Mary Steenburgen, who plays Mary in the film, so this is confusing, (laughs) but she ended up not being able to pay for the house because her husband wasn't working and he wasn't sending back money because his ship was sent off course and they didn't know where he went. So this guy is basically trying to pressure her into marrying him and adopting their son. And then, of course, good old Gulliver shows up and foils (laughs) his plans. And he ends up locking Gulliver in a mental institution. Wow. And anyway, so the whole thing. What time period is this set in? 1700s. Oh, Same time around the novel came out. And basically... It is, this whole mini-series is Lemuel Gulliver flashing back and remembering his trips, kind of reliving them, but also he and his wife are trying to prove he's not insane, Hmm. even though his behavior is very unusual. So, in these flashbacks, we follow him go to Lilliput and see the tiny people and where he's a giant. I feel like you covered that one pretty well. It was pretty similar overall. Okay. Probably one of the things they didn't talk about in your version is this in the book and in the miniseries is kind of a way to make fun of English political parties. <laughs> hmm. My remarkable lecture lasted five audiences with the Queen. Each one lasting several hours. She was most attentive, frequently making notes. And when I'd finished, she requested a sixth audience, no doubt to praise my eloquence and to beg my forgiveness. I have some questions. Questions, Your Majesty. Questions. These ministers who run your country, how do they get to be ministers? Well, usually it's a sum of money that decides the issue. So how do they gain the knowledge about the people they're supposed to serve? They don't need much knowledge because they spend, well, most of their time drinking and gambling. And, like, one of the things that they are repeatedly fighting over in this country is whether boiled eggs should be opened at the big or the little end of the egg. Well, you can't even tell which end is the big or little. (laughs) I mean, you can kind of tell. You have to really think about it, though. Well, apparently it is... A big deal in the world of Lilliput, and it is something they will go to war for. So that's another thing it's criticizing the English government for, for going to war quickly. Then he goes to Brobdean Nag, which I hope I am saying correctly. And he is a tiny person, and the people are giants. And like in your version, he is kept inside of a box. But the little girl is actually really nice to him and wants to marry him. But it's weird because she's also, like, 11 years old. Yeah. So, don't worry. 
Ted Danson shuts that down real fast. <laughs> but he, like, does live in a dollhouse and okay. is real excited about it. He also is the smallest person in the kingdom, and Queen Alfre Woodard thinks that's the coolest thing. So he becomes a court jester, thus removing Warwick Davis as the formerly smallest person in the kingdom who was the court jester, and he's mad he lost his job. So he <laughs> unleashes wasps upon... Oh. Yeah, which are giant wasps upon Gulliver. He defeats them somehow. Then he goes to the flying land of Laputa, and it's this island that floats above the earth, and everybody there is very obsessed with intellectual questions and... They like to ponder the mysteries of the universe, is the short summary of that. Mm -hmm. And then the last place he goes to is another place that is difficult to pronounce. It is an island with horses called the Hunahims, something like that. It uh -huh. is, and like, I listened to them say it a hundred times in this miniseries, and I still don't know how to say it. It's spelled H-O-U-Y-H-N-H-N-M-S. Oh. They're horses, but they basically talk like people and are intelligent. Hmm. And then there are actual humans living on the island, but they are, like, uncivilized. They can't talk. They cover themselves in mud. They don't really Weird. wear clothes. And they're called the Yahoos. And <laughs> long story short... He eventually gets home, and that's pretty much where it ends in the book. But in the miniseries, it ultimately ends with Mary saying, I don't understand what my husband is talking about, and I don't, but I believe in him, and I believe he's a good person, and he won't hurt anyone. So she still chooses his side, even mm -hmm. though she doesn't fully understand. But then his son, who has believed him this whole time, even though he had never met his dad, he was born while his dad was gone. Mm. He has been reading his dad's travel journal, and he finds a very tiny sheep from Lilliput. Oh. And he brings it to court, and he proves that his dad was telling the truth and is not mm. insane. And it all ends happily, except for the evil guy who is trying to force Mary into marrying him. And don't do that to Mary Steenburgen and Ted Danson. Don't do it. Mm-mm. I believe Lemuel is a truly good man. I believe he's an honest man. And I believe... His journey has made him a better man. Tell me the crime he has committed that merits this terrible punishment. What if his stories are true? What if they're not? What does it matter? He had a thirst, a raging, unquenchable thirst to see the world and drink everything in it. And now that thirst is quenched and... Perhaps he has drunk more than any man could swallow, but who are we to judge him? Who are we to doubt his word and compel him to remain here? Wow, man, Gulliver really traveled in your movie. I know. He went all over the place. Yeah. And as far as... I mean, it's a well-done miniseries. Like I said, it's for children, so... I wouldn't say I was riveted the whole time, but I think, you know, there are a lot of good actors giving good performances. And one of the things 
that was pretty significant about the miniseries is this was the first time all four parts of the novel had been filmed and turned into a screen version. It cost $28 million to make this two-night event. Wow. And actually, Ted Danson said he spent almost as much time working with the blue screen behind him as he did with actors because there were Hmm. so many special effects. And actually, like... You can tell their special effects. They would probably mm-hmm. be, they would definitely be better today if you had like a Disney behind it, like paying for it. Yeah. But they hold up pretty well overall. I mean, nice. there were parts of it where I was like, ooh, how did they do that? Because it actually really looks like he's talking to a small person or he's inside of this crazy place. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of crazy places. I didn't even mention that at one point. He finds people who have eternal life because they drink this water, but it also makes them blind. And the only way he gets in there is by giving them a wasp sting. I mean, there's weird stuff going on in this story. But one of the funny things Ted Danson said, too, about working in this kind of crazy story, he (laughs) said it was a relief with somebody like Peter O'Toole because he's so inspiring that I just kept saying, don't worry, Ted, it's all right. He's only six inches tall. (laughs) that's cute yes and there you go so that's a little bit about the mini series Mm -hmm. and i touched on the novel a little bit but it came out in 1726 by it is written by jonathan swift it is often considered a children's book but it's also kind of a satire of the travel narrative book that was really popular at the time Hmm. it has never been out of print since it was published It sold out its first printing in a week, actually, in the 1700s. And people still consider it one of the greats today. In a 2015 list from the Guardian newspaper, they considered it the third greatest novel of all time in the English language. Mm. And it has influenced many future writers, including uh, George Orwell said it was really important to his work on Animal Farm. Mm. Okay. So, super influential. Do you think it was important to Rory as she dreamed of being a traveling journalist? <laughs> uh, you know, I that is funny. I did look to see if there were any other references to Gulliver's Travels and Gilmore Girls and couldn't find any. But mm. who's to say? Maybe this is where it started for Rory. She read it as a kid and mm-hmm. wanted to be a journalist who traveled. I don't know. Yeah. It's probably on her bookshelf or in her book drawer. <laughs> It probably is. I mean, if it's that much of a classic, you would think, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I think both of our versions probably lost in translation is just how much of it... Apparently this book was kind of controversial when it came out hmm. because it criticized so much about English political life and culture. And apparently that was quite the scandal when it came out. <laughs> Um, so just, that's one piece of it. And you do pick up on some of that in the miniseries, but obviously you and I just do not have the same context for when the book came out. So it seems pretty tame now that they're making fun of the government and how often they go to war. Right. But not so much then. Huh. Well, good job, Jonathan Swift. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you read anything else by Jonathan Swift? Not that I'm aware of. Probably not. I only know of one other thing I've read. And this is the thing. I always forget the name of it. 
I checked before this. <laughs> but I always have to Google Jonathan Swift eating babies. Oh, my. It's probably um, flagged something with the NSA where they're like, <laughs> uh-oh, watch this girl. Um, but he has an essay called A Modest Proposal. And it's a satire piece in which he's talking about how the government is doing such a poor job of taking care of the poor people in their country Mm -hmm. that it would be better for poor people to sell their children as food for rich people. Oof. And of course it's satire. So he's not really saying you should do that, but he goes through it like step by step, this very thorough plan. And by the end of it, you're like, I'm not sure you're joking. I'm concerned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's still relevant today. Yes, that is. And I do recommend yeah. that essay. It is okay. funny to begin with, and by the end of it, you're like, oh, no. But I think I get your point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll look it up. So, did you know that Jonathan Swift invented a bunch of words? I did not know that. Well, we're talking about the one, Brobdenagian. Uh-huh. By the way, if somehow I've accidentally said something offensive, I want you to know it's completely <laughs> unintentional. I don't know yeah. what I'm saying. Modernism is another word that he coined. Hmm. In his use of it, it meant a usage, mode of expression, peculiarity of style, characteristic of modern times. And now that meaning has evolved, but he's the first person to use that word. Oh, okay. I thought also, there were going to be more words like Brabdenagian, but real words that we well, use. Well, <laughs> keep, keep waiting, yes. Okay. Here's another one. Truism, something that's a self-evident truth. Truism, <laughs> that comes from Jonathan Swift. Okay. Also, the name Vanessa huh. is something he invented. It that's was such a common a, name now. I know. It was a pseudonym for his lover, named, whose real name was Esther. And that's where that name came from. And the word Yahoo, which (laughs) I touched on briefly, came from Gulliver's Travels to describe a brutish human-like race. And now it refers to any uncouth person. Huh. That's funny. So thank you, Jonathan Swift. Yeah, thank you for those words. Mm Mm-hmm. So should we talk about how this fits into the context of Gilmore Girls? I think so. So I don't know about you... But when I first started watching the movie, I thought, oh, Brobdenagian is going to be what they call Gulliver because he's so much bigger than them. So I was like waiting for them to call him that. But it ended up being that the Brobdenagians were the people who were bigger than Jack Black than Gulliver. So mm-hmm. I thought, I, yeah, I was expecting him to be the one. But no, it was people even bigger than him. Yeah. Which is a thing I didn't know happened in Gulliver's Travels before yeah. watching this. Me neither. I thought that was like a good twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I pretty much just knew about Lilliput and the tiny people. Yeah. Do you think most people just like read the first part of the book and were like, wow, that was really weird. I don't think I want to finish this. And that's why we only know about Lilliput. I don't know. Probably. Just a theory. But Paris was like, <laughs> I'm feeling this. Let's keep going. But in not, the... <laughs> rereading the Iliad for the third time is not a great Friday night. <laughs> it's not nothing. It's not not a great Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, Paris, do you have anything going on tonight? What's that supposed to mean? It's supposed to mean, do you have anything going on tonight? Well, my parents are out of town, so my Portuguese nanny will make dinner, and then I'll either get back to reading the Iliad or we'll play Monopoly. I crush her every time. Well, I was just thinking maybe you want to stay for dinner. Here? Yeah. We have a ton of food, and it's like a whole big show and everything, and if you're not doing anything... Rereading the Iliad a third time is not not doing anything. It was in the book, I know, that a little nine-year-old girl in Brabdenag does interact with Gulliver, so that was true in both of our mm-hmm. stories. Um, yeah, so they're just like, they're giant people that are even more giant than us, so it really... It fits what Paris was saying. And at least it it's the scale is not exact. But <laughs> from what I read, it was like 60 feet tall is how tall they were. The little girl in the book was about 40 feet tall. Mm-hmm. So um, apparently her roommate's boyfriend is about 60 feet tall in Paris's mind's eye. Mm. That was probably about the ratio in the miniseries as well. Like, Ted Danson sits on the dining room table or whatever, and Alfre Woodard, the queen of Brabdenag, has, or Brabdingnag, however you say this SAT word, bends (laughs) over to talk to him, because it's, Mm -hmm. like, at her waist. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that guy did not feel 60 feet tall to me. Sure didn't. Gilmore Girls, no. It's a little, little dramatic, Paris. Who, Paris? Dramatic? Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, now that I know what she's referring to, I know exactly what she's trying to say. Is it accurate? No. But I think it does support her, the point she's trying to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If uh, Rob Denegian came and sat on my couch, it would, they would leave an indent. Or no couch at all. Yeah, that yeah, that's also true. <laughs> my couch is old. It it would probably just be gone. Go mm-hmm. through into my downstairs downstairs neighbor's <laughs> apartment. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh. So Taylor. So Kyla. That's our show. That's our show. Yay! Couple of. Brabdenegian twits we are not <laughs> normal size five we're foot ted dancing sized here. it's yeah fun. we're yeah. jack black sized it's okay <laughs> one or the other i think ted dancing's a lot taller than both of us but i just mean of the three options mm-hmm. yeah yeah sounds right has anybody read both parts of these book let us know email us at sojashow at gmail.com we're on twitter at so it's a show um, sign you know up for what? a tiny letter. Links. Below. It's really like four parts, by the oh, way. Oh, really? Like, oh. it is. Let's see. I'm reading the table of contents, so that's more than I ended up reading. Yeah. Part two: A voyage to Bravdi Nag. <laughs> Part three: A voyage to Laputa, Balni Barbie, Lugnag, Glub Dub Drib. I'm not making this up. And oh Japan. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. A Voyage to the Country of the Hunyahins. Part four. Yeah. There's a lot going on in here. Anybody read all those? Maybe they're great and we need to read them. I know. Maybe. Let us know. Until then, here's a teaser for our next step. I don't believe it! You're moving!
Emotional? What happened? Tell me everything. Was there a fight? Are you getting married? No female Kim has ever moved out without getting married. You're not getting married, right? I love the floorboard thing. It's so Hogan's Heroes. I wonder if I could pull the floorboards at my house.